Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, and I'll, I'll meet you there a bit later. I need to say that because uh, the introduction is probably going to be longer than usual, but it's uh, something I feel very important uh, in regards to the message this morning, and if you'll bear with me. Uh, Love being a pastor because, well, that's what God called me to do. I uh, love to help people, I, especially people that I know and people that I love. But my wife loves to help people even more than I do, and I'm glad because I need her help to do as I should. She's the, uh, she's the factor that, that pushes me on. The, how does the song say, The Wind Beneath My Wings? You know, uh, when we think about helping others, uh, we need to realize that we all have our limits. And that is especially true when it comes to uh, things that are not of a material or a financial nature. Because just because we have the ability to put food on someone's table or shoes on their feet doesn't mean that we're able to meet all of the other needs that they have in life. And just take a, a minute or two and think about what some dear folks are going through right now. I'm talking about people you know, people that you love. There's those that we've already mentioned that have lost dear loved ones. Someone they'll never see again in this world. Someone that they're going to miss for the rest of their life. And they're gone now. And they can't do anything about it. And then there are those that have been diagnosed with a terminal disease and the doctors and the meds have done all that they can do. So right now it's just a matter of, uh, well, of days or maybe in some cases a matter of hours before they, before they leave this world. Others are sick and they're struggling trying to regain their health. There are others that are suffering through domestic issues. It might be an unfaithful spouse, a divorce, wayward children, or, or whatever it is. But don't ever underestimate uh, the difficulties of things such as that. There's sometimes that some things uh, are more difficult to deal with than death. And there are some folks going through that right now. There are some folks who uh, are without a job. And they're worried about how in the world are they going to take care of their family. The job that they've worked for all of their lives, that they've prepared for, uh, no longer exists. They have no idea what they're going to do. And it might be that they're at an age where it really gets difficult to, you know, to start a new career in something you're not familiar with. And then there are those that are going through great emotional stress. They have a good job. They have food on the table, they have a nice place to live, and on the surface they seem to have absolutely everything they need and nothing to complain about, but for whatever reason, something that they, they can't understand or they can't explain, they're mired down in a deep, dark pit of depression, and they're tormented emotionally. They're embarrassed by it, they're frustrated about it, and they want to get better, but they just can't. You can't seem to find the road to recovery. And that list could go on and on and on, as you well know. And the thing about it that really bothers me the most is that 
that I can put a name to every story that I've mentioned. So can you. Someone you know, someone you care about that has a need and uh, you don't understand it and really it's like your hands are tied. You can't do anything about it. You want to help. You would help. But you can't help. At least not in the way that, that they would like. And so their problem becomes your problem. That's the problem with empathy. People that, like Bev, that has a lot of empathy for others, you know, they, they enter into their suffering and it's difficult to deal with. Because uh, you see people you love, they're struggling, you don't know why, they don't know why. Uh, you want a better life for them, naturally, a brighter future. We, Those of us that have children and grandchildren, you know, and we want them to have a bright future. But boy, I'll tell you, uh, we see the writing on the wall and it doesn't look good. It really doesn't. They'll never know the America that we knew. And it appears that they won't ever be able to have it as good as they did. Because everything seems to be headed downhill and the future looks bleak. And your hands are tied. What can we do? How can we deal with it? I'm not saying things can't get better. I'm saying it doesn't appear that they will. And in their mind, that's the reality that they're trying to deal with. That's what they're struggling with. They have dreams like everyone else, but now their dreams are becoming nightmares. Ever-increasing, never-ending, frightening nightmares. So what are we supposed to tell them? How, how is it that we can help people like that? And maybe you're wondering uh, why I'm spending so much time on the introduction this morning, and I'll try to explain. Dreams are a big part of life. And by dreams, I mean something more than our thoughts or the sensations or the impressions that we have while we're sleeping. By dreams, I'm talking about here our cherished aspirations, our, our ambitions, our ideals, the things that we desire, the things that we hope for. Most of you adults have asked some kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a policeman or a fireman or, you know, this or that. They, they've got some dream of what they, what they want to be. And especially at this time of the year, here near Christmas, they're dreaming of what they want, what's on, their, what's on their list. And some of them dream big, by the way. When I was a kid, you know, you generally got one article of clothing, you got some apples and walnuts and a few things like that, and that was about it. That was a big Christmas, but some of the kids nowadays, they dream big. But the dreams don't stop when we reach a certain age, do they? Because even those that are adults, even those that would be classified as elderly, they still have dreams. Maybe that's why the, the old song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, was so popular. Boy, there was a lot of servicemen and women that was hoping that would be true. I'll be home for Christmas. But there's another song 
Christmas song that is even more popular than that. In 1941, the year that I was born, Bing Crosby recorded the best-selling record ever, which was I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. I've got to tell you, I don't dream of a white Christmas. I've had all the snow I want. <laughs> I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. A few years later, someone added to that title these words, but all it did was rain. <laughs> I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, but all it did was rain. And you know, that is a lot like life, isn't it? I mean, we have our hopes, we have our dreams, but all it does is rain. We plan and we scheme, but all it does is rain. And we go from one disappointment to another, and after a while those disappointments lead to discouragement, and that can lead to despair, and that becomes dangerous. So what are we supposed to do when it rains on our parade how do we deal with all of those why questions? Why me? Why this? Why now? How do we deal with that? I really actually believe that we can be helped to deal with those difficulties by looking at what the Bible says about those who face similar situations. I don't know who you think about first, but the first name that comes to my mind is Joseph back in the Old Testament. You remember his story starts out with a dream. It was a dream that was despised by his brothers, but he had a dream. And in the dream, it pictured his brothers and even his father bowing down before him. And in spite of their best efforts to destroy that dream, of everything that the brothers did, that actually happened. But between that revelation and the reality of it, all it did was rain. They put him in a pit. He finally got out of the pit. He's falsely accused, and now he's in prison. It's storming now. It's raining, going from one difficulty to another, and, and, and no doubt being human like he was, there were times of great fear. But as interesting as that story is, there's actually another Joseph in the Bible that we're going to look at this morning that we need to talk about, and that's Joseph, the stepfather of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a, he was a dreamer, but he also found himself experiencing one nightmare after another. And so in this story, here in Matthew, beginning Matthew chapter 1, and going into chapter 2, we find four dreams, each of which changed the direction of his life. The first one is in chapter 1 and verse number 20. It says, but while he thought on these things, this is right after us being informed that Mary was with child. And it says, he thought on these things, verse number 20, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." 
Now, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled. And you need to remember that. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. In this first dream, notice that the Lord is addressing his fears. Look at verse number 19 again where it says, Then, then, this is when it happened. And verse 18 describes the situation. Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now you put yourself in his place. You try to imagine how heartbroken he must have been when he learned that Mary was pregnant. They were his spouse to be married, but what today you might refer to that as an engagement, but it wasn't married, marriage in the strict sense of the word, and now she's pregnant. Seemed like all of his delightful dreams of marriage has now been, been dashed to pieces. It's hard to imagine that, you know, what all's going through his mind at that time. And thankfully, just when everything seemed to be lost, God steps on the scene by way of a dream, and God explains what was happening, and that changed everything. But it's about to rain. In chapter 2 and verse number 12, we're told that after the wise men had told Herod, the king, about the Lord's birth, that the king issued an order to kill Jesus. It's raining again. Imagine that. Finally, the prophecy is fulfilled. The baby is born. An explanation is given. And Joseph is good with that. He understands now that this is all a part of God's plan. The only way that God could deliver a Savior into this world to deliver us from our sins, the only way it could happen is for Mary and Joseph to go through this. It was difficult for her. Her reputation was at stake. It's difficult for him. In his mind, he's losing everything. And God says, no, no, no. I've got plans, but... Now it's starting to rain. Verse number 13 of chapter 2, we see the second dream. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And then he arose. The first dream addressed his fears. This dream alerts him to danger. You know, just whenever he really needed it the most, God gives him another dream and he says, flee to Egypt with Mary and with the child. That was not going to be an easy trip, by the way. And how do you explain to Mary 
that, you know, that we've, we, we, we've got to go. She's probably been looking forward to going back home by now. But then after they make the trip, they breathe a sigh of relief. And, you know, it's a good thing they obeyed. The rain has stopped and the sun is shining and the picture looks bright. And while they were safe, hundreds of babies were being slaughtered by that wicked king. You see, it pays to obey. Joseph could have scotched his feet and said, Look, we've gone far enough with this silly idea. We're going back home. We're not afraid of the king. Let me tell you, God's will is always the safest place on earth to be. If you're not safe there, you're not safe anywhere. And so God gives him this dream, alerting him of the danger. That brings us to the third dream, which picks up in verse number 19 of chapter 2. But when Herod was dead, the threat's gone. Well, it seems like. Herod was dead. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned in a dream, and we'll get to that one in a minute. The third dream allowed him to return. They've learned that Herod has died. The threat seems to be gone. They're permitted to go back into the land of Israel That must have been so exciting for them to go back and be reunited with family and friends and to take the baby Jesus. So everything's going their way about now, but it's about to rain again. Look at verse 22. After allowing him to return, something happens. Verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus did reign in in Judea in the room of his father Herod. He was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. He returned, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. They're allowed to return to the land of Israel, but there's danger there because now even though Herod has died, his son is reigning in his stead. And so that resulted in God warning them. He says here that they are to turn aside into the parts of Galilee. So they came and dwelt in Nazareth. That might not seem like any big deal to you, but believe me, it was a big deal. They couldn't go back where they originally intended because there is a new danger. It's raining again. And now God is giving them a dream so as to align Him with 
God's prophecies. Aligned Joseph and his family. They go to Nazareth. Why? He tells us it was to fulfill what was said by the prophets. And being there opens up a whole new set of problems. And we could say a whole lot about that city, but you know, there's one phrase that pretty well sums it all up, and that's the fact that everybody said there's nothing good that can come from that place. I mean, by the way, Nazareth was just a tiny little village. It was not a city that was teeming with thousands. It was just a tiny little village. Some say with not over 30 families in it. But it was one that was despised by just about everybody. Nothing good can come from that place. So that's where they're at. That's where they're stuck. It's not where they really wanted to be or intended to be, but they're there out of necessity. They wouldn't have chosen to go there, but they're there. By the way, you'll remember that that is the one place of which it was said that Jesus, even Jesus, during his ministry could do no mighty works there. Think about that for a little while. I mean, it's got to be bad, amen, whenever he would choose not to do any mighty works there. You know, all of that pretty well sums up how some people feel about where they are in life. You know, they feel like Jacob whenever he said, all these things are against me. And when we look at Joseph's story, we can see finally now how all of these pieces are fitting together that the reason that he's there, and I'm sure he didn't actually understand it all while they were traveling, but the Lord says it was to fulfill what the prophet said about him being a Nazarene that was a very important factor by the way and because of that they've got to go through this experience that they would have never chosen for themselves you see it was all about God reigning in their life controlling he was the controlling factor behind it all you know that explains what's going on in our lives a lot of times we've had our dreams our ideals our plans and that's what we want that's what we work for that's what we strive for and all of a sudden it's like the props have been knocked out from under us and our dream turns out to be a nightmare But in reality, that nightmare is nothing more than God working out His glorious plan in our lives. You see, when we look at that, we're seeing a commentary on life. Because during the course of our life, we encounter hills and valleys. There are twists and turns. There's blessings and burdens. There's sunshine. There's rain. And all of these things that we can't possibly understand. It's a puzzle. We look at all of the pieces separately and it's so very confusing to us. It doesn't seem to make any sense at all. But whenever all of the pieces are finally put together, 
Now we can see how all things work together for good to those who love the Lord or the called according to His purpose. And that reminds us of our great need to trust God during those times that we're, when it's raining. Why, Lord, why is this happening to me? And here they are going from place to place to place. And in each instance, he tells us, well, it was necessary to fulfill what God had promised many long years ago. Oh, listen, how the world needs more people like Joseph. Amen. He doesn't get the attention that he deserves, but he's sure a great example of, of what we should be. Amen. You see, God not only had a special plan for Joseph, God has a plan, a special plan for each and every one of us. And we need to learn to cooperate with God's plan instead of fighting against it. Even when it's confusing, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, even when it's unpopular. I spoke with someone on the phone this morning. A generous, loving, kind Christian man with prostate cancer. I don't understand that. Why him? Of all people, why him? I don't understand that. And we never will understand it until finally God puts all of the pieces together. When it's confusing, it's painful, it's difficult, it's unpopular, nobody wants to go through it. Now, God doesn't direct us through dreams today. I hope I haven't left that impression. Maybe you're thinking, well, I had a dream the other night, and I'm so afraid it's going to come true. Well, you don't worry about that. I can eat ice cream and peanut butter and go to bed, and I'm going to have dreams all night long. But those dreams really don't mean anything. I'm not telling you that God couldn't do something through a dream. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that's not His chosen means today by which to reveal His will to us. He reveals His will through His Word. And the story of Joseph is shouting in our ear, It pays to obey. We don't see the benefits at the moment. But it's like, it's like the threads on the tapestry on one side that just looks like a genuine mess. But oh, on the other side, you have that glorious design. And that's what God is doing. And you see, our great danger in this process is quitting on God before He quits working on us. We throw our hands up in despair and say, what's the use and give up all hope? And our problem is, uh, is that we don't always like the tools that God uses to make us what He wants us to be. That's natural. I understand that. Job didn't enjoy his afflictions either. Paul didn't enjoy it, but he rejoiced in them. By my nature, I'm, I'm like most of you, I think. We want life to be easy, pain-free, and fun, but it doesn't work that way. And sometimes what seems to be the worst thing that could happen in our life turns out to be the best thing. That's 
It really does. We don't see it now. We resist it now. But oh, later on, I recently read a, a true story about a fellow that was out shopping. I don't know if it's the Christmas time of the year or what, but he was shopping. He's standing at the checkout counter in the store, and suddenly something hits him from behind, slams him, and the next thing he knows, he is on the floor, and there is a car above him. The driver of that automobile had lost control of the car and plowed through the front of the store, running over the man in the process, and it broke his leg and broke his hip. He knew that much, but but here he is, laying on the floor, a car on top of him, his leg's broken, his hip's broken, he He's unable to, to do anything. And in addition to that, the last year had been an absolute financial disaster for that man. And so as he rides in the ambulance to the hospital, he's wondering about the future. And he didn't yet know all of the full extent of the injuries, but he knew I'm going to be out of work now for a long, long time. What in the world is my family going to do? The hospitals, the doctors did a full body CAT scan so to see if there was any internal injuries as they often do. And in doing so, they discovered that he had a life-threatening aneurysm. I mean, one of the main arteries was swollen up, ballooned up, bulging. And the doctor said, according to its size, he should have been dead already. They could not believe that it had not already burst. So they rushed him into surgery. They repaired the aneurysm. They saved his life. And you see, the tragedy of being hit by that car ended up in being the blessing that, that saved his life. That man said later, and I quote, he said later that he had never believed in God. Isn't that an awful state to be in? To have never believed in God. As a result of that, all of a sudden his attitude has changed. And, and now, after a short period of time, he learned of Christ and received Christ as his personal Savior. And in his testimony, he quoted from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph, after it was all over now, remember, all of the rainy days, all of the hardships, and now his daddy and the brothers are all there. And he says, you meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it for good. And I want you to know there's coming a day, folks, whenever we stand before our blessed Savior. And we look back on this life that was so painful and so confusing. And when we stand there and we see the explanation for all of the rainy days and the hard times, there will not be one complaint come from our lips. Not one. We'll see the love and the wisdom of all that God has done. And we'll praise Him for it. The very thing that we despised on earth, we'll offer Him praise for giving us what we needed instead of what we desired. That's the kind of God we serve. 
And if you don't know him this morning, I beg you, whatever you do, don't leave here till you're certain that you have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do that? We're going to give an invitation. We're going to sing a, sing a hymn and invite you to come. And if we can help in any way, we'll take the Word of God. I can't give you a dream, but I can give you something better than a dream. I can give you the truth of God's Word that will show you how you can become a child of God. Would you trust Him? Father, bless us now as we extend this invitation. Lord, as much as we want to help people go through their struggles, we're so very limited in what we can do. In fact, with most of them, we can't really do anything to be of help. But God, we know that You can, and I pray that You will. And this morning that they'll find exactly what it is that they need and leave here today rejoicing in their heart with their newfound relationship. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand in this, we sing. Would you come?